Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Pastor Seth Anderson. I'm the pastor of the church up in St. Albans, so about 30 minutes north of here. If you hop on 89, exit 19. Um, I've been here before, but it's been a while. I think uh, most of you probably don't know me um, because I think I was here last before COVID, and then everybody went online, and it, it was kind of crazy. We went online, too. Um, but just a little bit about myself. I have five kids. Uh, my oldest is um, 17, and my youngest is seven. So um, three girls and two boys. We have two dogs, too. So we have conflict a lot. Uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. John was like, can you talk on conflict? And I was like, okay. So I think, I mean, we all know we, there's conflict everywhere. Everywhere there's relationship, there's conflict. Um, as a pastor, I have conflict. You know, people want to get married. I do some counseling. We talk, that's one of the things that we talk about is conflict. How, do you, how are you going to navigate this once you're married? And then I'll find myself sitting at the, the table later on with a couple who's been married for like 24 years. And they're, they're at odds with each other. And so it's like, how do we, how do we wrestle through this conflict? Um, just this morning, I was talking with another pastor who's having conflict in his church, and so we were talking through some of that stuff. Um, 2020 election, big-time conflict, right? I mean, we had people on both sides in our church, and one of the guys in our church was emailing another, or not emailing, Facebook, they're like Facebook messages and stuff with another guy, and, um, you know, there was conflict there. And then we all went through COVID. Lots of conflict there too, right? Masks, vaccines, social distancing, all that stuff. So as a pastor, I have conflict. I'm sure as a student, you have conflict. Um, as human beings, we have conflict. As a husband, I have conflict. Last night, I told my wife, I'll be home at 7. She texted me after 8 o'clock saying, I thought you were going to be home at 7. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Uh, as a father, I have conflict. My wife called me um, just before I left to start coming over here, and she's like, uh, I'm at odds with our daughter. She's upstairs. I'm downstairs. I don't know what to do. So we kind of talked through that a little bit. They had an argument. And then even our dogs fight with each other. <laughs> One is like a puppy, and the other is older and kind of grumpy. And the puppy wants to play, and he starts growling, and they wrestle. So anyway, um, John asked me to talk about conflict. So you guys are in your final weeks of the series, Roots and Relationships, which I think is a really cool title. I like that. Um, you know, he was, he was helping me think through it. John and I talked um, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, what we're talking about is Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. And the, what are the ingredients of a good life, right? Um, God's word in our hearts, rest, roots, and relationships. So I'm really going to focus on that last one, relationships, because that's really where we have the most conflict. And we want to see our roots go down, be pulling up strength, be gaining strength to grow fruit, that would bear um, blessing, not only for us, but for those around us. So, you have roommates, you have family, you have work, you have life, so there's conflict there too. 
Um, and, you know, I thought about, I was thinking, wherever there's relationship, we have conflict. But then I thought, we can actually even have conflict with ourselves, can't we? I'm reading um, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien to my seven-year-old. So I, this is like my third time reading it, because our kids, you know, as they grow up. And I didn't say, hey, let's read The Hobbit. He was like, oh, let's read this. So you know the character Gollum in The Hobbit. He has conflict with himself, doesn't he? It's really sad. You find out in, in Lord of the Rings, you find out that um, he actually was a normal person, a normal um, human. And because of something that he wanted, his friend found the ring, right? And he wanted the ring, and he actually murdered his friend. And that just drove him into the mountains, and he, he, he just was totally broken down. I think even to the point where he, it's like his personality split, and he began to... Uh, have conflict within himself. And that actually happens in our world, too. That's um, really devastating. I, what I want to look at today is three questions with this passage here. Um, we'll, we'll address the passage in the last question, but the first I want to say is, where did conflict come from? Like, why do we even have conflict? The second is, how do we handle conflict? And the last is, what does Jesus say about it? And that's where we're going to look at the passage. So, where did conflict come from? Um, I think back, well, we got to go back to the beginning, right? The first conflict on the face of this planet was actually happened in a place of roots and relationships, right? It happened in a garden where Adam and Eve were. They were tending and cultivating. They're growing things, but they're also in relationship with each other. And the serpent came and tempted Eve uh, created kind of a dissatisfaction in her, uh, talked to her about her desires, like, don't you want to be like God? Um, and so she took the fruit, she ate, we all know what happened, she gave some to Adam, and God came, they hid. God came and said, where are you? Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat of? You remember what the man said? He came to the man first, and the man said, well, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Um, and then he goes to the woman. God goes to the woman. What is this that you have done? She said, well, the serpent tempted me and I, I ate. And then he goes to the serpent. Do you see what's happening there? It's blame shifting. It's already, they're already in conflict with each other. They're in conflict with God. And whenever we're in conflict, we, we tend to want to blame someone else. And that's what happened with Adam. Did you hear his, his response? The woman that you gave to be with me. Who is he blaming? He's not blaming the woman. He's blaming God. God, it's your fault. You gave, if you didn't give her to me, I wouldn't have been in this situation. And then if we skip to the, you know, one of the end books of the Bible, James chapter 4. Maybe you've heard this passage before, but... Um, James is asking, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So we all want things, right? And often they're really good things that we want. We want relationship. We want peace. We want freedom, maybe freedom from shame, freedom from guilt. We want respect. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. 
And these are all good things, but if we don't get them, if someone else that we're in relationship with doesn't give them to us in the way that we want, then we start to have conflict, don't we? And then we can avoid people, we can shun them, we can we could actually destroy them. Um, conflict can escalate. I don't know about you, but I've been in conflict for years with certain people. And maybe you have too. I mean, you don't have to look very far. You look at Russia and Ukraine. I mean, that's been a conflict for many years, right? But now it's escalating. There's actually horrible things that are coming out of it, like horrible atrocities and, and suffering. Um, and conflict is messy. And it's really awful at times. I actually hate conflict. So I tend to be like the conflict avoider. Um, but we all will face it. And so how do we deal with it? How do we handle it? So that's point number two. How do we handle it? I think the answer could be often not well. <laughs> I think there's two main responses to handling conflict. Um, one is we can attack. Some people, they love conflict. They want to go head-to-head with you. They want to get involved. Um, and this would be like the peace breaking I'm taking some of this from a book called The Peacemaker, written by Ken Sandy. Um, it's a great book that talks all about how to handle conflict well. It's really been helpful to me. The other response, so on one side you have people who will attack. Like if there's conflict, they're going to be right there. They're going to be in your face. The other side is escape, right? I hate conflict. I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to run from it. I'm going to flee from it. So let's talk about the attack for a minute. That's the peace breaking. The other is really peace faking, right? I'm going to fake that there's peace. I'm just going to pretend that everything's okay. But here, they're like, I'm not going to pretend everything's okay. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to go head to head. So one thing that can happen is you're actually, you can be assaulted with words, right? You could be assaulted with actions. It could get to the point where someone sues you. Right? This is, we're going we're gonna to have a conflict in your face here. And we all know that we live in a time and place where um, some people call it cancel culture. Uh, some people refer to it as call-out culture. Or someone I just read today, someone wanted to rename it consequence culture. So you know what that is, right? If you say something or do something that goes against the majority then they can say, uh, enough with you, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to put you at arm's length, I, I'm going to destroy you on social media, we're going to boycott you uh, or your company or whatever it might be. And that can become problematic because it can basically be like, I'm writing you off, you're not even like a human being to me, I never want to talk to you again, you're canceled. Some people other argue, actually, there's a positive side to that, that it can, if, it can actually hold people accountable. Um, but my question is, if you are canceled by somebody, and it, it's widely known, say it's out on social media, there's this, this whatever is said about you, it's really hard to be redeemed after that, isn't it? It's hard to be brought back into the circle of favor because people have the stigma or they think, well, I don't even know if that's true or not, but I'm just going to, I mean, this is what was said. The ultimate 
attack is actually murder, right? If we take it all the way to the extreme, I have this conflict, I'm going to fight with you, I'm going to fight against you, I'm going to cancel you, whatever, and the ultimate goes to, I'm going to kill you. And that actually happens, right? I mean, that's what we see in war. But then on this side, you have escape, right? So this is peace breaking. Over here is peace faking. And this is denial. I'm denying that there's any problem. I'm just going to shove it down. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. I'm going to go along with life. But I'm going to avoid that person. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to talk to them anymore. My wife grew up in um, Massachusetts, so Bill Ricca. You know where that is. Okay. So she grew up in Bill Ricca. Um, there's a lot of conflict in her house, a lot of yelling, um, just a lot of friction. Her dad, he would go to work every day, come home, go in the basement, um, and basically not be a part of the family. Um, some people didn't actually even know she had a dad as she grew up. And he would get really angry sometimes, and things would blow up in the house. Maybe you grew up in a house like that, too. Basically, no one would ever say, I'm sorry, in that house. No one would ever say, I'm sorry. And if she tried to say that, um, often she would be met with, just forget about it, or don't worry about it. And that's the escape, right? So what happens if, if with the peace breaking... Um, the, the, the attack, the extreme is murder. What would the, attack, what would the extreme be for the escape? Um, it would actually be suicide, right? Like, I cannot live in this any longer. Um, I need to end my life. And that's so tragic, isn't it? I wonder, which do you tend to? Do you tend to this side, the attack mode? If someone comes at you and there's conflict, are you going to get right back in their face, attack mode? Or are you going to be over here, the escape mode? Um, and you're, you may be sitting here thinking, you know what? Actually, I think I'm both. Because it depends on who it is, right? And I think we're a mixture of both of those. But I think we do have a tendency, your personality, your temperament, you may have a tendency to, to go in one or the other way. So my question to you as we get into this passage is, is there a better way? Is there a better way? And Jesus tells us here that if we are, if we are rooted in him, if our relationship is in him, there is a new way. It's not easy. It's hard. But Jesus didn't call us to an easy life. It's challenging, but there's new fruit, and he talks about it as forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness, the way I would define it, is it is releasing somebody. Somebody who's harmed you or somebody that you have harmed. Um, you are releasing them or releasing yourself as you are struggling with that. Um, to let, to let it go. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about forgiveness here. You see the passage here. Um, first thing we see is Peter came and said to Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone if they sin against me? I think this is actually the harder thing. It's one thing if we sin against somebody else or we do something that harms somebody else, but it's another thing. It's actually hurtful 
and can be traumatic if somebody sins against us. So what do we do in that case? Peter is asking, can I put a number? Can I put a limit on it? Can I just forgive them a certain number of times and then I, have, then I can just wash my hands of them and say, you know what? You've used up all your times. I don't need to forgive you anymore. Jesus' answer, he's saying, I don't say to you seven times, Peter, but 77 times. He's not saying, if you do it 77 times, then you're good. What Jesus is saying is, it needs to be many that you don't even count. Um, Someone wrote it this way, the spirit of genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. It's a state of heart, not a matter of calculations. I thought that was really helpful. Um, the spirit of genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. Now, I'm not, that, that's not saying forgive them and then let them walk all over you. We do have boundaries, right? There may be wise things that you'd put in place um, that you wouldn't do with them anymore because there needs to be trust rebuilt. Um, but just the fact of forgiving is over and over, right? And so then Jesus tells this parable. A parable is a illustrative story or teaching that proves a point. And so Jesus tells the story about a, the kingdom of heaven there's a king, there's servants, probably not slaves. Um, some people think they're probably those who went and collected taxes on behalf of the king. So they would maybe go throughout the kingdom, collect taxes, bring them back. And this one servant, he owed 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know how he got in this debt, but some people think um, if he's collecting taxes, he may have stolen a ton of money over years and years. And who knows if that's true or not. But the point is, he owed 10,000 talents. So if you want to understand how much he owed one talent, imagine if you worked for 20 years in one job, and every year you made a certain amount of money, and you added all that up. That's one talent. 20 years. So if one talent is 20 years... He owed 200,000 years of wages. So let's just say, for example, someone made like $50,000 a year. This would be something like $10 billion that they owe. Okay, there's no way they can pay it. There's no way. Um, and so verse 25, it says, Since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So in other words, if I can't get the $10 billion from you, then I'm going to get whatever else I can. You're thinking, wait a second, he's selling the family? Like, this is, this is kind of crazy. But back then, it was actually a common practice. If you owed a lot of money, you, you could be sold um, to, to, for the person who you owed to get money back. And so what he, he see, we see here, there's desperation. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. Notice what he says. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Could he actually do that? I don't think so. He couldn't pay everything. Maybe he could pay some, but he couldn't pay everything. And the next thing we see, out of pity for him... The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
This is really incredible. I mean, imagine if someone owed you $10 billion and they couldn't pay it. And you're just like, all right, I guess you don't owe me anything. That's a pretty big thing to do, isn't it? But what we see is if you handle conflict well, it's actually going to be a blessing to other people. It's going to be a blessing. What happens next is really disturbing, isn't it? That same servant went out. He's just been forgiven $10 billion. He goes out and he grabs this guy by the neck and he starts choking him and saying, pay me what you owe. Now, what did this guy owe? This guy says he owed 100 denarii. A denarii is one denarii equals one day of work. So he owed... You know, he owed 100 days of work. So that's like a third of a a year's salary, right? So it's way less than what this other guy owed. So if we want to put a monetary value, you know, we could say, yeah, you make $50,000 a year. Um, Say it's it's, uh, $18,000, for example. So this guy owes $18,000. The other guy owed $10 billion. And he's choking him and saying, pay what you owe. Notice what the servant said to him. Verse 29, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that ring a bell? It's almost the exact words that the other guy said. So that should jog his memory like, wait a second, I was just in this position. I was just on my knees saying the same exact words. And what happened? My master had pity on me. But that's not what happened here. Verse 30, he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debts. They don't pay very much in prison if you work. And that's where this guy was going to be. Well, there's, this is distressing, isn't it? And the other servants, they see this. And they're just like, we got to tell the master what's going on here. And so they go and tell the master. The master comes and finds this guy who he just forgave $10 billion worth of debt. And he says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. In other words, I showed you mercy. And you should have showed the same amount of mercy to your fellow servant. And I actually think, I mean, the master had a right to demand that, right? It's master to servant. And then, then this guy, it's servant to servant. They're kind of equals. And yet he's choking him and demanding that he pay. And so what happens to the guy? His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So in other words, you're going to prison. I forgave you, but you're going to go to prison. And he ends by saying, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's like, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty bold. So how, what do, how do we deal with that? I think the, the way that we deal with that is this guy actually was getting what he originally deserved because he didn't show mercy. So what's the point of all this? The point is Jesus is the king. We are the servants. Our debt is huge. Right? It's just, matter of fact, all the stuff we've said, all the stuff we've done, 
I'm a pastor and I've hurt people. I've done all kinds of things. And, you know, even our thoughts, our words, things that I've said, things that we've done against God, against other people, our debt is huge. And there's no way we can pay it. The Bible tells us the, our, the wages of our sin is death. So that's actually what we deserve, right? According to what the Bible says, and we can't pay it. And so here we are before God. We have this huge debt, and we can be pleading, God, please be patient with me. And what does he do? He sends his son, Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to pay your whole debt. I'm going to pay all those billions of dollars. I'm going to pay for all of your sins. He had pity on us, and I'm going to forgive you everything. That's incredible. And that should change us. And that should change us in such a way that when we are sinned against, when other people harm us, and when we have conflict with other people, we ought to be thinking, God, I know you have, you have forgiven. You've shown me so much pity. You've shown me so much grace. Please help me to show that same grace to this person who I'm really having a hard time with. There's actually a warning here. The warning is, if we don't ever forgive people, if we just hold on to grudges and we go through life in that way and we never show mercy and never show pity, then what Jesus is saying here is you, you don't realize the mercy that you've been shown. And there's actually no evidence of your roots. And there's no evidence of strength. There's no evidence of fruit, right? And we would deserve his justice in that case. And so it's only by his grace that we have roots in him, that we can draw his mercy up in through us and through our faith and out into our fruit so that other people will be blessed. But if you're, if you're discouraged, thinking, you know what, I really struggle with this. Well, I do too. And sometimes it takes a long time to produce fruit. The summer before I went to college, I went on a retreat um, with our church youth group, um, and the youth leader was there. He had been my youth leader for a long time. We had a relationship. I was, uh, I was feeling like, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to, you know, follow all the things that I probably, he thinks that I should. My brother had his car there. We were going to go swimming, so we just took off and we went swimming. We didn't tell the youth leader that we're that we were going. We were going to meet everybody where they were going anyway. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought, well, that's fine. Well, it turns out he couldn't find us. And we're in the, in the mountains in the Adirondacks across Lake Champlain. He was looking all over the place for me, and he couldn't find me. He didn't know where we went. So when he finally got to the place where we were swimming, it was this like mountain river with a swimming hole, he looked at me and he said, um, We couldn't find you anywhere. We don't know where you went. You never told me that you were leaving. You need to get out of the water and go up and sit by the car for the rest of the time. And I was like, what? Seriously? And I was mad. I was really angry. And so I went up, and it wasn't just me. It was my brother and another guy that we were with. And we sat up there for like, I don't know, it was an hour or two. And the the more I sat there, the more angry I got. 
to the point where I told my brother, I said, let's just get in the car and go. Let's just leave. And so we got in the car. That was the end day anyway. We got in the car and we drove off and we left. And I had to face the youth leader again, like the next Sunday at church. I had to see him. But you know what I did? I avoided him. And I held him at arms like, basically, I canceled him. And I was like, I don't want to talk to you. I'm really angry with you. You treated me like a, like a little kid. I'm, I'm a senior in high school. Um, but all these years of relationship with him, like he had invested in me. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm done with you. Do you know how long that And then I went off to college. And so I was like, I can, I don't have to think about him. But whenever I came back to visit, I would think about him because he'd be there. Do you know how long that went on? Eight years. Eight years I was angry about that. Does that sound, it sounds stupid, right? But I felt like he sinned against me. Like he, he, he didn't treat me right. Thinking that, and not realizing like, I didn't treat him right. And there was one summer that I came back and before I even saw him, God brought to my mind like, you are not right with this guy. You are at odds with this guy. And so God had been working in my heart. He had been growing me in faith and helping me understand forgiveness and all of those things. And I felt really convicted. And it was the heart, one of the hardest things that I had to do. I mean, remember, eight years have gone by. So after church, we're down in the basement. You know, people are having coffee and all that stuff. And I go up to him. I'm out of college at this point. His name was Sean. I said, Sean, do you remember? I know it was a long time ago. It was like eight years ago. Do you remember that time when I was at that retreat and I left and I didn't tell you and you got upset with me and, you know, all that happened? He's like, ah. <laughs> he was trying to remember it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I just need to ask your forgiveness because I have held a grudge against you for eight years, for all these years. And I am so sorry. I know you were trying to do the right thing. You wanted my best interest. Like that was your job as the leader. Will you forgive me? And he was like, yeah, of course. Oh, of course I'll forgive you. I'm so glad I um, talked to him because a few years later he died. He, he got cancer and he died. And he was actually pretty young. Um, so I'm thankful that God worked, apart from his grace, apart from his working in me, I would have never gone up to him. I would have probably just held that grudge and said, you know, what? I don't want to ever talk to him again. And I'm wondering if you have someone like that in your life, you know, who's harmed you or who, you know, is just abrasive or you've had a bad experience and you just like, I'm, I'm writing them off. I wonder, is God working in you to think about forgiving them? And you might say to me, you have no idea what people have done to me. Um, I've suffered some horrible things. And I think we need to sit in that and actually say, you know what? You're right. That was horrible. And I cannot even imagine going through something like that. But is it placing you in your own prison? Is it letting conflict rule you? Don't you want to be free? 
even if that person never says, will you forgive me? Don't you want to be free? You can actually forgive someone without them asking you. You can actually deal with conflict in a way that, um, that frees you. And so you're, you're like, you know what? I can move on. I think about my wife with her dad. You know, she never really had a good relationship with him. And I heard about some of the stuff, like, in their home and just how he wasn't present and all this. And I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, I would be really upset. And God worked in her heart. Um, He actually had a stroke. He had a heart attack. He almost died. And God worked in her heart to where she was like, you know what? I'm just going to forgive him. And I saw a change in her, and she was able to love him in ways that I couldn't even believe. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus does to change us and to change other people. Now, there's all kinds of hard questions with this, like, how could I ever forgive someone who's harmed me in in this way or that way? And those are hard questions that there are no easy answers to, but I will tell you, some of the greatest displays of forgiveness in the gospel have been through those really hard things. I'm wondering, do you know how much you've been forgiven? Do you know how much God forgave you through Jesus? And secondly, how are you doing in forgiving? Maybe it's forgiving yourself, right? We can have conflict with ourselves, and maybe it's others. So I want to end, we're out of time, so I'm going to end with these four, four practical things. Um, and this comes from, actually, I wanted to show you. I got a couple books here. This is the one I was talking about, The Peacemaker. Um, if you're interested in learning more, how do I, how do I become a peacemaker? <laughs> how do I resolve conflict? Um, this is a really good book. It's by Ken Sandy. And another one... Um, It's called A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them by Scott Sauls. He was actually one of my professors um, in seminary. So you can check those out um, if you're interested in learning more. But the the final thing I want to share with you, and then we'll be done, is from The Peacemaker. Ken Sandy talks about four Gs. So the, the points start with Gs. That just helps me remember, right? The first thing is, whenever you're in conflict, it's an opportunity for God to be glorified. God has brought this conflict. He will work through it. He's going to help you, and he's going to be glorified in it. It's a perspective. I hate conflict, and so it's really hard for me to think when I'm in the midst of it. It's like, okay, God, somehow this is going to bring you glory, but it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for growth and for his glory. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. I mean, you remember my story. All I could see was how my youth leader harmed me. I could not see my part in the problem. And so often when we're in conflict, it's so hard for us to remove ourselves from the center of it and to be able to see clearly. So get the log out of your own eye. Jesus talks about that. How have I contributed to this conflict? The third one, gently restore. You may have to gently point out how other people have contributed to the conflict too. And that can be hard. 
but you can do it in a way um, that's helpful. And the last one is go and be reconciled, where you actually go to the person and say, will you forgive me? Or, or maybe you offer forgiveness. Uh, um, like in my wife's case, it could be the type of thing where she goes to her dad and says, you know, growing up was really hard. And I was really hurt by the way that our family operated and I was hurt by your absence. Those are really tough things to say. It takes a lot of courage. Um, but you, she, and then she could say, but I want you to know, I don't hold that against you. I've forgiven you. And I just want you to know that we're okay. That could be powerful. <clears throat> or if you don't feel like you could do that, like, no, I don't, I'm not there. You, maybe you could do it in your own heart where you where you say, God, could you please take this burden from me? Help me to forgive whoever has sinned against me. And he will do it. 